This is another episode of Main Corpse. I am your host, Matt. And I'm Kelsey. This is Kelsey. We have got a story for you that's going to turn the stomach. All right, welcome back to Main Corpse. If you're hearing me right now, you're about to get a special treat because we're doing something we've never done before. I'll explain in a minute. But I'm Matt. I'm Kelsey. And today we are doing something a little bit different. Um, usually during the month of December, we do try uh, new baked goods from Kelsey. But today we actually have baked goods from me, Brittany, and Kelsey. And it's in the form of, do you want to explain what we have here? Yeah, so we all decided um, what we wanted to do was our favorite Christmas treat Specifically, Matt said cookies, and I said, well, I can't do Christmas without this, so we're mm -hmm. going to add candy to it. So I baked Michael's favorite cookie, which is a simple peanut butter cookie. Mm -hmm. um, I made my grandma's um, cream cheese candy. Oh, it looks so good. Yeah, it's, it turned <laughs> it out so perfect. good this year. I'm so excited. Um, and then you want me to explain what's on yeah, our side? Please. So on our side, you have my favorite Christmas treat, which isn't technically a cookie. It, I think it falls more under candy like yours, but they call it a cookie, a no-bake cookie. Um, so if you don't know what a no-bake is, it's just chocolate and peanut butter and, uh, and oats uh, kind of yeah. jumbled together. And it's delicious it's so good and then Brittany went real old school and went with um the original nestle recipe for chocolate chip cookies so like the one okay. from way back in the uh, late 30s and 40s in that era she okay. actually used the one that was on that that's original really one. cool um, um so, i can yeah. tell you everything that's wrong with that recipe oh yeah looking at yeah it. they're not they're not um, fantastic but uh but they Brittany wanted to try it we no have, i think yeah. it's i think it's really cool that we're going um, that far back but like side by side you can see how far we've come oh yeah, yeah so i'm really really excited to do this all right so let's start off with the one i've never tried which is uh which is the one you made what is this again um this is a cream cheese candy uh it my grandma always made our family's potato candy recipe and slowly changed it to no longer having any potato in it what do you think it tastes like the filling in those mm -hmm. little Getz candies in the okay. best way possible to me. Um, it is so good. Is that what is that peanut butter? Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's like swirls of of just this beautiful, delicate white candy. Mm. It's so stinking easy to and make. It's, and it's layered with, ooh, with peanut butter. It's mm -hmm. so good. Um, my favorite part of it, because I'm a textural eater, you know that mm -hmm. about me, how quickly... The um, white portion just kind of melts, melts away. And then you're left with just that really good creamy peanut butter. Man, that's bomb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a great grandma made this recipe. So, mm. And you have so many good textures there. Mm -hmm. It's it's so sweet, but then when you hit the peanut butter, it's so kind of savory. Mm -hmm. That kicks ass. That's really, really good. You can see why I said no, no, if we're <clears> doing our favorite yeah. This is the thing. I agree. I agree. Because I did say cookie. And then we decided <laughs> um, candy was also okay. Which I'm glad. Because like I said, I, I technically think a no-bake cookie isn't a cookie. Um, I, it. <clears throat> I would say because you have to use like a sugar thermometer. Well, you should use a sugar mm -hmm. thermometer. It would be considered a candy for yeah, me. Yeah, it's, it's more like a fudge. It's like fudge yeah. with oats in it. So let's do that one next. All right. We'll go with our favorite ones. Mine and yours. A little dry. But very good. 
this literally only has 60 seconds too long on the stove. Mm. I mean, it's n maybe not even that, maybe 30 seconds too long. The flavor is outstanding. The oats are nice and cooked. It's my favorite candy. I, don't I love know why. how prominent the cocoa is in your recipe. Mm -hmm. The cocoa is not as intense in mine. Yeah, we're going to be able to share this one. Mm. And I will say this too. We, we ended up using the cocoa from, like, I think it was the... I think it was a cocoa brand from Aldi, and I am shocked at how they good it is. They have really good cocoa. I actually, I've Man. been using the generic from Walmart for a bunch of stuff recently. Shocked about how good that is. So, um, next, I say let's try theirs. Uh, so, okay. Brittany's and Michael's favorite. We started with uh, with yours and then went mm -hmm. to mine. So, let's keep that going, and we'll start with Michael's, and then we'll end on Brittany's favorite, which is an old school chocolate chip cookie. I was going to say, this one's not really a Christmas cookie either, but he wanted, he said peanut butter cookie was his, so. Mm. <laughs> Just stupid good. So, the thing I love about this recipe is how light and versatile it is. I actually made some of what Brittany told me at one point was her favorite, the ones with the Hershey Kiss in the center, mm -hmm. with the same base. So good. Yeah. I just kept the peanuts out of that one. I like your peanut butter recipe because it's not so damn sweet. I have had some before where it's it's way too sweet for my flavor. Um, I don't roll mine in sugar. Right. I want it. I want it to taste like peanuts and peanut butter. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I want it to have that flavor. And when you mask it with too much sugar, it loses it for me. Um, and then you just have a you just have a brown cookie that yeah. doesn't tastes like anything other than sugar, which is very sad to me. So yeah, it, it's it's literally a perfect cookie. Uh, the outside is very, very crispy. The mm -hmm. edge got nice and crispy, but the center is so delicate and soft. Um, yeah, it's a perfect, uh, perfect peanut butter cookie. That comes from it. pulling it out in time to let it finish cooking on the mm -hmm. tray. All right, and last but not least, again, this is the original Toll House recipe for this that came from, I can't remember her name, but she created the original recipe, um, and they were supposed to be very, very thin and crispy, mm -hmm. um, according to it, and I don't okay. think, I, and, and I think Brittany tried to stick to it as close as possible. She also put some nuts in here, because she couldn't leave well enough alone, so. Is it walnuts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love walnuts and stuff. It's not bad. It's a good cookie. It's a I mean, solid cookie. I, I do like other recipes a lot more. We did this one specifically, and, and again, I'm going to call out someone. Um, tasting History, uh, the mm -hmm. one that we, we thought, we've been watching a lot of it, and he made the original cookie, and we were both kind of intrigued by it because he made the original cookie the way that they told you to make it, so exactly mm -hmm. this recipe. And then he also made uh, the ration version of it, which was okay. during World War II, they released a thing about how you can make it using uh, using rations. And we decided not to go with that. We went with the old school recipe. But I can understand why in the 1930s and 40s, this took people by storm, uh, mm -hmm. because it is a completely different type of treat for that time. Um, my favorite cookie on earth is a no-bake. Second to that is a really good chocolate chip mm -hmm. cookie. This is an okay chocolate chip cookie. Um, and I think that's that's because of the recipe. But it is interesting. I was going to say, I don't, I by no means think that this wasn't made well. I think it was made very well. I think the recipe maybe isn't accurate. Um, and also, keep in mind, there's a lot of things that change with mm -hmm. um, a recipe. You, I could literally change my recipe by using butter that was softer than the butter that I utilized. Right. Yeah. If it was melted, it turns mm -hmm. it completely different. If you don't cream the sugar with the with the butter first... There is a way to um, reverse cream where you put all the dry ingredients in with the butter first. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And okay. what it does is all that oil coats the um, the 
like flour and the wheat and the glutens and it doesn't build any gluten at all. It gets kind of trapped. So it stays really small. Mm -hmm. So like it's just technique at that point. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if I went to anyone's house and they had any of these sitting around. No, um, no I would be for very sure. happy. Uh, all right, so there you go, guys. Those are our favorite cookies. We will not be sharing the Nestle recipe because we will get sued. Um, if you would like to know the Nestle recipe, it's on the, literally on the it. back of every <laughs> one of their bags. And the one from the 1940s does seem a little different. Mm-hmm. You can Google it and actually find it. We went based on one that was on like the original bar of Nestle's chocolate. Mm-hmm. So that's what we went with. Um, and, and it is a little bit different different than what you would find in a normal uh modern uh chocolate chip cookie so yeah kind of interesting um I, I would say check it out see what you think it definitely tastes like you're eating something from the 1940s <laughs> um definitely accomplishes that all right so i'm really excited for what we're about to do i know all and right. i'm i'm super bummed i wasn't Let's be honest, I was not part of that portion of the recording. I know, I know. So what you guys are about to hear is is something a little different. Today, we don't have a true crime for you. We we don't have one today. But we are going to stick with our, our creepy, uh, our creepy, you know. General vibe. Theme. And we're going to do something that I think um, is, is long overdue for its spotlight um, to, to be shown. We're going to do a ghost story for Christmas. This tradition actually dates back, um, from what I can tell, to very early Victorian era England. It um, does. And it was a tradition um, around around Christmas Eve. You would um, sit around the fire and you would tell ghost stories. There's literally a whole song about it. Correct. <laughs> and they, uh, they, and several very famous stories came out of this, um, most notably a Christmas, um, Christmas Carol. Carol. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys are going to enjoy the one I have picked out for you. I kind of waffled a little bit on what I was going to do here. Um, and I decided to go with a staunchly traditional Victorian English um, story. Uh, I almost went with a more modern Appalachian take on it. Maybe next year, because Ooh. I plan on doing this every year. Uh, maybe next year we'll go with one um, a little bit more modern, a little bit more from our area. And maybe even one year I'll write one uh, and just, just throw it out there. Who knows? I think it could be really fun to keep doing this. Maybe one year you can do one. I would love that. Um, so here in just a moment, you're going to hear that story. I hope you guys really enjoy it. I hope you have a wonderful... I'm looking wonderful... forward to hearing to it because I genuinely, yeah, I don't even know yeah. what the story I, and is. And I'm not going to tell you what it is until <laughs> you hear it. But I think I picked a fun one. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. And you're getting this episode on Christmas Eve. So I hope tomorrow you have a wonderful Christmas. Um, I hope our little ghost story here adds to the vibe. Maybe and, you made uh, some of our cookies. That would be cool. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. So... Stay creepy and enjoy the story. Stay creepy. All right. So this evening, you guys are going to be hearing Smee by A.M. Burridge. No, said Jackson with a deprecatory smile. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset your game. I shan't be doing that because you'll have plenty without me. But I'm not playing any games of hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve and we were a party of 14 with just the proper leavening of youth. We had dined well. It was the season for childish games, and we were all in the mood for playing them. All that is, except Jackson. When somebody suggested hide-and-seek, there was a rapturous and almost unanimous approval. His was one of dissentient voice. It was not like Jackson to spoil sport or refuse to do as others wanted. Somebody asked him if he were feeling seedy. No, he answered. I feel perfectly fit. Thanks. But, he added with a smile, which softened without retracting the flat refusal, 
I'm not playing hide-and-seek. Why not? Someone asked. He hesitated for a moment before replying, I sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed. She was playing hide-and-seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well, and there was a door that led to the servant's staircase. When she was chased, she thought the door led to the bedroom. She opened the door and jumped and landed at the bottom of the stairs. She broke her neck, of course. We all looked serious. Miss Fernley said, How terrible. And you were there when it happened? Jackson shook his head sadly. No, he said, but I was there when something else happened. Something worse. What could be worse than that? This was, said Jackson. He hesitated for a moment. Then he said, I wonder if any of you have ever played a game called Smee. It's much better than hide-and-seek, and the name comes from It's Me, of course. Perhaps you'd like to play that instead of hide-and-seek. Let me tell you the rules of the game. Every player is given a sheet of paper. All the sheets except one are blank. On the last sheet of paper is written Smee. Somebody who knows Smee is except Smee himself or herself. You turn out the lights, and Smee goes quietly out of the room and hides. After the time, the others go off in search of Smee. But of course, they don't know uh, who they're looking for. When one player meets another, he challenges him by saying Smee, and the other player answers Smee, and they continue searching. But the real Smee doesn't answer when someone challenges. The second player stays quietly beside him. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player. He will challenge and receive no answer, and he will join the first two. This goes on until all the players are in the same place. The last one to find Smee has to pay or forfeit. It's a good, noisy, amusing game. In a big house, it often takes a long time for everyone to find Smee. Perhaps you'd like to try. I'll happily pay my forfeit and sit here by the fire while you play. It sounds like a good game, I remarked. Have you played it too, Jackson? Yes, he answered. I played it in the house that I was telling you about. And she was there. The girl who broke. No, no, said someone else. He told us he wasn't there when she broke her neck. Jackson thought for a moment. I don't know if she was there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were 13 of us playing the game. And there were only 12 people in the house. And I didn't know the dead girl's name. When I heard when I heard that whispered name in the dark, it didn't worry me. But I tell you, I'm never going to play that kind of game again. It made me quite nervous for a long time. I prefer to pay my forfeit at once. We all stared at him. His words did not make sense at all. Tim Vouse was the kindest man in the world. He smiled at all of us. This sounds like an interesting story, he said. Come on, Jackson. You can tell us instead of paying forfeit. Very well, said Jackson. And here is his story. Have you met the Sangstons? They're cousins of mine, and they live in Surrey. Five years ago, they invited me to go and spend Christmas with them. It was an old house with lots of unnecessary passages and staircases. A stranger could get lost quite easily. Well, I went down for that Christmas. Violet Sangston promised me that I knew most of the other guests. Unfortunately, I couldn't get away from my job until Christmas Eve. All the other guests had arrived there the previous day, and I was the last to arrive. 
and I was the I was only just in time for dinner. I said hello to everyone I knew, and Violet Sangston introduced me to people I didn't know. Then it was time to go to dinner. That is perhaps why I didn't hear the name of a tall, dark-haired, handsome girl whom I hadn't met before. Everyone was rather in a hurry, and I'm always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever. She didn't look friendly pretty much at all. But she looked interesting, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask because I, wa because I was sure that someone would speak to her by name during the mill. Unluckily, however, it was a long, I was a long way from her at the table. I was sitting next to Miss Gorman, and as usual, Miss Gorman was being very bright and amusing. Her conversation is always worth listening to, and I completely forgot to ask the name of the dark, proud girl. There were 12 of us, including the Sangstons themselves. We were all young, or trying to be young. Jack and Violet Sangston were the oldest, and their 17-year-old Reggie was the youngest. It was Reggie who suggested Smee when the talk turned to games. He told us the rules of the game, just as I've described them to you. Jack Sangston warned us all. If you're going to play games in the dark, he said, please be careful of the back stairs on the first floor. The door leads to them, and I've often thought about taking the door off. In the dark, a stranger to the house could think they were walking into a room. A girl really did break her neck on those stairs. I asked how it happened. It was about ten years ago, before we came here. There was a party, um, and they were all playing hide-and-seek. This girl was looking for somewhere to hide, and she heard somebody coming and ran into the passage to get away. She opened the door, thinking it led to the bedroom. She planned to hide in there until the seeker had gone. Unfortunately, it was the door that led to the back stairs. She fell straight down to the bottom of the stairs, and she was dead when they picked her up. We all promised to be careful. Miss Gorman even made a little joke about living to be 90. You see, none of us had known the poor girl, and we did not want to feel sad on Christmas Eve. Well, we all started the game immediately after dinner. Young Reggie Sangston went around making sure that all the lights were off except the ones in the servants' rooms and in the sitting room where we were. We then prepared 12 sheets of paper. 11 of them were blank, and one of them had Smee written on it. Reggie mixed them all up, and we each took one. The person who got the paper with Smee on it had to hide. I looked at mine and saw that it was blank. A moment later, all the electric lights went out. In the darkness, I heard someone moving very quietly to the door. After a minute, somebody blew a whistle, and we all rushed to the door. I had no idea who was Smee. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down passages and in and out of rooms, challenging each other and answering Smee, Smee. After a while, the noise died down, and I guessed that someone had found Smee. After a time, I found a group of people all sitting on some narrow stairs. I challenged and received no answer. So Smee was there. I hurriedly joined the group. Presently, two more players arrived. Each one was hurrying to avoid being last. Jack Sangston was last and was given a forfeit. I think we're all here now, aren't we? He remarked. He lit a match, looked up the staircase, and began to count. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, he said, and then laughed. 
That's silly. There's one too many. The match went out, and he lit another and began to count. He got as far as twelve, then he looked puzzled. There, there are thirteen people here, he said. I haven't counted myself yet. Oh, nonsense, I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. His son took out his electric torch. It gave a better light than the matches, and we all began to count. Of course, there were twelve of us. Jack laughed. Well, he said, um, I'm sure I counted thirteen twice. From halfway up the stairs, Violet Sangston spoke nervously. I thought there was someone sitting two steps above me. Have you moved, Captain Ransom? The captain said he hadn't, but I thought there was somebody sitting between Miss Sangston and me. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A cold finger seemed to touch us all. For that moment, we all felt something odd and unpleasant had just happened, and was likely to happen again. Then we laughed at ourselves and at each other, and we felt normal again. There were only twelve of us, and that was that. Still laughing, we marched back to the sitting room to begin again. This time, I was Smee. Violet Sangston found me while I was searching for a hiding place. That game didn't last long. Soon there were twelve people and the game was over. Violet felt cold and wanted her jacket. Her husband went up to the bedroom to fetch it, and as soon as he'd gone, Reggie touched me on the arm. He was looking pale and sick. Quick, he whispered, I've got to talk to you. Something horrible has happened. We went into the breakfast room. What's the matter? I asked. I don't know. You were Smee last time, weren't you? Well, of course. I didn't know who Smee was. While Mother and the others ran to the west side of the house and found you, I went east. There's a deep clothes cupboard in my bedroom. It looked like a good hiding place. I thought that perhaps Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark and touched somebody's hand. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. I thought I had found Smee. Well, I don't understand it, but suddenly I had a strange cold feeling. I can't describe it, but I felt that something was wrong. So I turned on my electric torch, and there was nobody there. Now, I'm sure I touched a hand, and nobody could get out of the cupboard, because I was standing in the doorway. What do you think? You imagined that you touched a hand, I said. He gave a short laugh. I knew you would say that, he said. Of course I imagined it. That's the only explanation, isn't it? I agreed with him. I could see that he still felt shaken. Together, we returned to the sitting room for another game of Smee. The others were already waiting to start again. Perhaps it was my imagination, although I'm, I'm almost sure that it was not, but I had a feeling that nobody was really enjoying the game anymore, but everyone was too polite to mention it. All the same, I had the feeling that something was wrong. All the fun had gone out of the game. Something deep inside was trying to warn me. Take care, it whispered. Take care. There was some unnatural, unhealthy influence at work in the house. Why did I have this feeling? Because Jack Sangston had counted 13 people instead of 12? Because his son imagined that he had touched someone's hand in an empty cupboard? I tried to laugh at myself, but I didn't succeed. Well, we started again. While we were all chasing the unknown Smee, 
We were all as noisy as ever, but it seemed to me that most of us were just acting. We were no longer enjoying the game. At first, I stayed with the others, but for several minutes, no Smee was found. I left the main group and started searching on the first floor at the west side of the house. And there, while I was feeling my way along, I bumped into a pair of human knees. I put out my hand and touched the soft, heavy curtain. Then I knew where I was. There were tall, deep windows with window seats at the end of the passage. The curtains reached to the ground. Somebody was sitting at the corner of one of the window seats behind the curtain. Aha, I thought, I've caught Smee. So I pulled the curtain to one side and touched a woman's arm. It was a dark, moonless night outside. I couldn't see the woman sitting in the corner of the window seat. Smee, I whispered. There was no answer. When Smee is challenged, he or she does not answer. So I sat down beside her to wait on the others. Then I whispered, what's your name? And out of the darkness beside me, the whisper came, Brenda Ford. I didn't know this name, but I guessed at once who she was. I knew every girl in the house except one. And that was the tall, pale, dark girl. So here she was, sitting beside me on the window seat, shut in between a heavy curtain and a window. I was beginning to enjoy the game. I wondered if she was enjoying it too. I whispered one or two rather ordinary questions to her and received no answer. Smee is a game of silence. Um, it's a rule that the ga- uh, it's a rule of the game that Smee and the person or persons who have found Smee have to keep quiet. This, of course, makes it harder for the others to find them. But there was nobody else about. I wondered, therefore, why she was insisting on silence. I spoke again, but got no answer. I began feeling a little annoyed. Perhaps she's one of those cold, clever girls who have a poor opinion of all men, I thought. She doesn't like me, and she's using the role of the game as an excuse for not speaking. Well, if she doesn't like sitting here with me, I certainly don't want to sit with her. I turned away from her. Um, I hope someone finds us soon, I thought. As I sat there, I realized that I disliked sitting beside this girl very much. It was strange. The girl I had seen at dinner had seemed likable in a cold kind of way. I noticed her and wanted to know more about her. But now, I felt really uncomfortable beside her. The feeling of something wrong, something unnatural, was growing. I remembered touching her arm, and I trembled with horror. I wanted to jump up and run away. I prayed that someone else would come along soon. Just then, I heard light footsteps in the passage. Somebody on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain moved to the side, and a woman's hand touched my shoulder. Smee whispered a voice that I recognized at once. It was Miss Gorman. Of course, she received no answer. She came and sat down beside me, and at once I felt much better. It's Tony Jackson, isn't it? She whispered. Yes, I whispered back. You're not Smee, are you? No, she's on the other side. She reached out across me. I heard her fingernail scratch a woman's silk dress. Hello, Smee. How are you? Who are you? Oh, is this against the rules to talk? Never mind. Tony, we'll break the rules. Do you know, Tony, this game is beginning to annoy me a little. I hope you aren't going to play at all. I hope you aren't going to play it all evening. I'd like to play a nice quiet game all together beside the warm fire. 
Me too, I agreed. Can't you suggest something to them? There's something rather unhealthy about this particular game. I'm sure I'm being very silly, uh, but I can't get rid of this idea that we've got an extra player, somebody who ought not be here at all. And that was exactly how I felt, but I didn't say so. However, I felt very much better. Miss Gorman's arrival had chased away my fears. We sat talking. I wondered when the others will find us, said Miss Gorman. After a time, we heard sounds of feet and young Reggie's voice shouting, Hello, hello, is anybody there? Yes, I answered. Miss Gorman with you? Yes. What happened to you? Um, we've both, you've both got forfeits. Uh, we've all been waiting for you for hours. But you haven't found Smee yet, I complained. You haven't, you mean. I was Smee this time. But Smee is here with us, I cried. Yes, agreed Miss Gorman. The curtain was pulled back, and we sat looking into the eyes of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Miss Gorman, and then to the other side. Between me and the wall was an empty place on the window seat. I stood up at once, then sat back down. I was feeling very sick, and the world seemed to be going round and round. There was somebody there, I insisted, because I touched her. So did I, said Miss Gorman in a trembling voice. And I don't think anyone could, have leave, could, could leave this window seat without us knowing. Reggie gave a shaky little laugh. I remembered his unpleasant experience earlier that evening. Someone's been playing jokes, he said. Are you coming down? We were not very popular when we came down to the sitting room. I found two of them sitting behind a curtain on the window seat, said Reggie. I went up to the tall, dark girl. So you pretended to be Smee, and then you went away, I accused her. She shook her head. Afterwards, we all played cards in the sitting room, and I was very glad. Sometime later, Jack Sangston wanted to talk to me. I could see that he was rather cross with me. And soon, he told me the reason. Tony, he said, I suppose you're in love with Miss Gorman. That's your business, but please don't make love to her in my house during a game. You kept everybody waiting, and it's super rude of you. I'm ashamed of you. But we were not alone, I protested. There was somebody else there, somebody who was pretending to be Smee. I believe it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. She whispered her name to me. Of course, she refused to admit it afterwards. Jack Sankson stared at me. Miss who? he breathed. Brenda Ford. That's what she said her name was. Jack put his hand on my shoulder. Look here, Tony, he said. I don't mind a joke, but enough is enough. We don't want to worry the ladies. Brenda Ford's the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs. She was playing hide-and-seek ten years ago. Merry Christmas. Stay creepy, you weirdos. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you loved this episode, um, if you love the idea of a ghost story for Christmas the way that I do, um, let us know, because we would love to keep this tradition going. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.